All right. So uh, the message this evening is titled, As For Me and My Household. And uh, I'm drawing that out of uh, this week's reading, which comes from the book of Joshua in chapter 24, where we read how Joshua has essentially brought all the tribes of Israel together. And he's brought them together at a place called Shechem. And in verse 15, he says to the people that are assembled before him this. He says, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then by way of response, the people who are uh, gathered before Joshua say, uh, the Lord our God, we will serve and him we will obey. And so Joshua then kind of goes through this process of creating statutes and ordinances, essentially for the people to follow, to kind of bring them together under this unified covenant. Um, and this essentially kind of becomes their framework. It becomes their framework for how they're to serve and to obey uh, the Lord, their God, together as a people and as a community. Jumping to Matthew 25, which is the other reading for this week, um, we read about Jesus who kind of uses this analogy, uh, and you may have read it, um, I'm not going to read it out, but Matthew 25, 1 to 13, he uses this analogy of 10 bridesmaids. And these 10 bridesmaids have lamps. And they take these lamps uh, and they go on a journey, and they're going on this journey uh, essentially to meet their bridegroom. And he basically uses this story uh, amongst numbers of other stories that we read throughout the Gospels to kind of begin to describe what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so what we read is that five of the bridesmaids uh, take extra oil to, to keep the lamps burning and five don't. So five are essentially prepared for a long journey and five aren't. And what happens in this story that Jesus tells is that the bridegroom is delayed, which is kind of a nice way basically of saying that he was running late. So what happens is that uh, he's running so late that five of the bridesmaids who didn't pack or take extra oil with them kind of have to go off and source more oil because he's much later than they'd anticipated. And so basically, both these passages kind of talk, for me anyway, kind of talk to who uh, or what we serve and kind of how we serve those things. And the reality is whether we kind of believe it or not, or know it or not, we actually kind of all serve something. We all, we all serve someone, and we kind of do that in our own way. And for me, both these passages kind of really have, in my way of viewing the world, which may be different to many other people, really kind of have significant relevance to contemporary Christianity. I would, my observation of contemporary Christianity broadly, particularly Western, what we would call so-called Western Christianity, is that contemporary Christianity seems to be particularly distracted by anything and everything other than Jesus. What we see, particularly, I think, of the broader evangelical church, is that we're a bit kind of like the people who were standing before Joshua, kind of deciding who or what we will serve. And we're also a bit like the kind of five unprepared bridesmaids who wandered off to go shopping for oil because they weren't quite focused on the mission at hand. And so if we're not focused on Jesus as the church, then it kind of goes without saying that we have to be focused on someone or something else. And if we're focused on someone or something else, 
then it's not too much of a stretch to kind of posit that we're probably serving that person, that thing, or that agenda rather than Jesus. And so I was kind of thinking about that this week and thinking about, well, what are those things that support my argument? What has uh, the focus of the church? And for me, I think one of the things that has the focus of the church is empire because we kind of love to be on the winning side. It's kind of why we're so passionate about nationalism and why we're so passionate about patriotism and, and nationhood. It's, it's why we're so obsessed with what happens to us after we die because we kind of want to be on the side of right and, and might and, and victory. And I think that if we think we have some kind of chance of controlling empire, well, then even better. Uh, I think it's why... A certain president who will remain nameless is kind of so popular among certain segments of the church because he might be pliable enough to kind of give the church position of um, moral superiority that we kind of believe that we should have. And so the flow on from that um, is that we then kind of serve the tools of empire. Uh, and one of the tools of empire that I see very clearly is this kind of tool of um, divide and conquer. It's a strategy of empire to kind of exclude rather than include and to kind of create ruling classes and working poor because that keeps the ruling class kind of in the manner that they're accustomed. Uh, another tool of empire is um, what we read in, in scripture called mammon, which is basically this kind of uh, specific term that, that refers to wealth that's for its own purpose or for its own power. And mammon or, or wealth is often a tool of empire. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that money in and of itself um, is a bad thing. It's perfectly fine. It's really useful. It buys us coffee and it helps us live and uh, we can do really good stuff with money. But it's, it's the love of money that the author of 1 Timothy kind of attributes as a source of all kinds of evil. And the love of money we know in our lives corrupts. It's the love of money that, that kind of does the opposite of what Jesus charges us to do. The love of money doesn't really encourage us to kind of love our neighbor. The love of money causes us to kind of take advantage of our neighbor and, and exploit our neighbor for personal gain. Another tool of empire that I was thinking about is um, violence and war, uh, which is explicitly linked with mammon. Uh, I was reading about uh, the profit of the arms industry globally. It's kind of depressing. I don't know if you've kind of looked into it much, but the arms um, or defense industry is big money. Lockheed Martin, which is one of the most profitable companies uh, in the US, um, makes an annual profit close to $3 billion just from the sales of arms and weapons. The arms industry turns over literally trillions of dollars a year. Uh, if we want to make money, coffee's not the way to do it, it's sell weapons. But um, violence in war is, is about power and it's about profit. Um, uh, certainly for my own life, uh, uh, something else that we can focus on and something else that we can serve is, is technology and entertainment. We're, we're obsessed with screens and we're obsessed with the content that happens on them. Um, self is kind of a thing that, that draws our focus and... and and something that we serve. We, we increasingly live kind of isolated, self-centric lives. And, and even though we're, we're technically more connected, we, we have Facebook and we have all these things, 
um, our lives are actually becoming more fragmented. I, I was reading some uh, research recently that said that uh, one in four Australian adults identify that they have no one, as in no single person, one in four Australian adults identify that they have no one with whom to share difficult news. Oh, that's massive. Like, if that's true, that's, that's 25% of the Australian adult population, if they had difficult news, had no one that they could think of that they could share that with. And so we see that social isolation is a growing problem too, not a shrinking one. And the final thing that I kind of rested on, um, and there's other things, but the final thing that I kind of think that has the focus of the church, and this is all broadly speaking, uh, is the church. If we're honest, church can sometimes be a bit self-serving. Sometimes in church life, uh, our greatest call to action is to play keys on a Sunday um, or to greet people at the door. Um, not, that they're not that they're unimportant things, but I think that as an institution, the church is often guilty of kind of drawing people unto itself rather than kind of pointing people to Jesus and then equipping them and sending them out to do whatever it is that they kind of purpose to do. I think we often fail to recognize uh, the vocations that people have in our own community and the communities that they already serve. And for me, Jesus' story of the bridesmaids kind of speaks directly to this. I think we've created a dynamic and a philosophy in which we've essentially determined that the earth is kind of merely a waiting room until we die. It's kind of merely a blip until we get to the main event, which we would call eternity. There's this sense that Jesus is coming back soon, so kind of let's hustle and let's get out. Our, our eschatology, to kind of use a fancy word, our theology of death and, and judgment and our final destination is kind of built around empire and built around violence and built around war and built around destruction and, and ruthless judgment that results in uh, eternal bliss or eternal torment. It's why statistically, and this is the data supports this, it's why statistically that Christians are less likely to care about climate change because we kind of hold to this belief that, well, the world is going to burn anyway, isn't it? So who really cares? And if you hold to predestination, hitting some big topics tonight, then some people are going to burn anyway, so who cares about them? And so Jesus' counsel in Matthew 25 is basically that the, the bridegroom is taking his sweet time. He's not coming back in a hurry. His, his counsel is to remain awake. His counsel is to remain focused. His counsel is to keep the lamp burning. And, and so for me, uh, what, what that kind of uh, says is that, and what this translates to, is a recognition that we kind of have a responsibility here and now. We have a responsibility here and now to make life better for people here and now. We have a responsibility, uh, not even just to this generation, but to leave a legacy for generations to come, to, to live better, to live sustainably, to, to face really difficult, messy, big issues head on, to, to address injustice, to address inequality. And so I kind of posed 
that statement to myself this week that, that Joshua makes, as for me and my household. And, and I kind of just came up with some things that, that I hope are true of my household. As for me and my household, we will seek forgiveness more than seeking to be right. As for me and my household, we will seek to do as little harm as possible to ourselves, to each other and to creation. And maybe, hopefully, we will even do good. As for me and my household, we will strive to listen much more than we speak. As for me and my household, we will endeavor to pursue love and peace and joy and mystery. As for me and my household, we will try and confront our own biases and prejudices and try and bestow on every single person in our household and outside of our household equal value. As for me and my household, we will resist empire and we will continue to seek Jesus in the faces of the poor and the downtrodden and the broken and the lost and the excluded. As for me and my household, we will stumble, but we will try to catch each other and to keep shifting our focus back to Jesus, recognizing that everything is loss and that the greatest goal, purpose and attainment of our lives is to love and to be loved. May it be so. Amen. Amen.